What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Oh, 
welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, welcome to part four of four of the odds and ends of the year 1993. We've got one more episode to go before we get to the big albums countdown the big, super spectacular top albums of 1993 countdown that I promised you all year long. It's almost finally here. It's almost a reality. But before all that, I've got 10 more songs to play for you here from different odds and ends of 1993. And yes, old Michael Monroe fanboy right here, your friend Joey, managed to get Michael Monroe onto two different slots of the odds and ends of 1993 but it's legitimate he performed on the spaghetti incident album and i played ain't it fun from there and we kicked off this episode with michael monroe with slash being the headliner over here in america because everybody knows who slash is and we love slash but i believe over here it was billed as slash and michael monroe so that's how i ate to eat it to shove michael monroe also into this odds and ends so i'm going with it Slash with Michael Monroe doing a cover of Stephen Wolf's classic Magic Carpet Ride from the soundtrack of one of the most unnecessary movies ever made. And that would be the Coneheads movie in 1993. Confession, a good confession. I've never seen the Coneheads movie all the way through, but every stitch I've seen of it is absolutely atrocious. The soundtrack is almost no better. That being the real gem out of it for me. Some people may not even like that version, but I think it's awesome. But good God, there's a couple of more decent acts on the soundtrack. Let me look at this. Let me look at this sound this track listing right here. I didn't even memorize it for this bit. All right, you know what? I'll say there's really only one other song that's really worth it, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Tainted Love by Soft Cell is fine. I don't know what it's doing on here, but I'm sure there's some context in the film, possibly. So we'll leave that one alone because it's an oldie at this point. Diggable Planets is on there, and they're worth it. Diggable Planets is awesome, so yes. And there's a song on there that I, I would just see it to where this soundtrack never happened if you'd have promised me I never would have had to hear Soul to Squeeze by the Red Hot Chili Peppers ever in my life. God damn, that, that's the song that won't die. Jesus Christ, it's, it's almost Margaritaville bad. It's just, it's never left radio. And that's another reason why I don't listen to radio, but... I told you on this show before, I do dump into the radio sometimes, like if I'm going to the Brahms or whatever, it's two minutes away, I don't want to dial up the Wi-Fi and the Sirius and all that on the Bluetooth, and I'll play regular-ass radio. Inevitably, somebody will be playing Soul to Squeeze. It's enough already. Stop it. Or any Chili Peppers bullshit song. And I don't even have to, like, asterisk it to say, like, after the 90s, because it's not like they're going to play anything from the 80s, really. Except for Higher Ground, which barely counts. Anyway, okay, Chili Peppers ran over. Let's get back to the positivity that was, once again, the great Slash and the great Michael Monroe with Magic Carpet Ride. I wonder if that was a cash-in favor for Michael Monroe helping out uh, Guns N' Roses or something. Or maybe it's just like, hey, you know, obviously I, they're probably all friends still at this point. I would hope so. But yeah, there you have it. 
And I'm almost sure that Sammy Yaffa of Hanoi Rocks also plays bass on that song. So there you go. Fun fact for you if you're a Hanoi fan like I am. Let's get back to the music, though, into something completely different, as I did a few other times on these particular Odds and Ends episodes for 1993. This is now going to be song two of two from a particular soundtrack, that being the Judgment Night soundtrack. Because I was like, man, I really want to play that Faith and More Booyah Tribe song. And I did. I'm actually not playing the Run DMC Living Color one. And that's really good, too. The De La Soul Teenage Fan Club song is really good, too. But gotta go with this one on principle, man. I mean, come on. The first and only recording with these two acts. We should have got a full album out of this collaboration. Because I'd buy it. But hey, and I don't think I'm alone in this. So, from the Judgment Night soundtrack, this is Slayer and Ice-T with Disorder. Turn it up.
yes. If you were driving your car whilst listening to that, I can't be held responsible for what you did, but I'm assuming that you were probably driving hands-free with a baseball bat in one hand and your middle finger out the window. So there you go. Disorder by Slayer and Ice-T, which is a medley of a handful of different songs originally done by The Exploited. So it's an exploited medley. And very much of the times, talking about the L.A. riots and stuff like that. And yes, to this day, it's still a nice little love fest between Slayer and Ice-T. They have both talked very positively about each other over the years. And Slayer even said the only reason we did this, because I don't think they're big rap fans or hip-hop fans, is because they were going to pair him up with Ice-T. It's like, yeah, we'll totally do that. And... I like later on, years later, with Body Count, Ice-T returned the favor and did a cool, fun-ass cover of Rain and Blood. So yeah, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Wake you up, a little aggro right here. Here's another good wake-up song right here, but in a different approach. So, talked about this probably a handful of times over the years. I'm not a big Springsteen guy. I respect the man. The world is definitely a better place with Bruce Springsteen in it, for sure. For sure. I mean, on principle, as a live performer, he's the man. But at this point, honestly, in 1993, I really couldn't have given a shit about what Bruce Springsteen was doing. And when I would hear what he was putting out around this time, it, it did not register or matter to me at all. Like, I'd see him play on SNL and stuff like that. And it was supposed to be a big deal. And I was just like, eh. I think the only thing that really ever popped me was that last appearance he did on the last late night with David Letterman on NBC where he got up on the keyboard during glory days. So I I like stuff like that. And obviously I've talked about this too. Who doesn't like Bruce when he's a little more rocking and really in the pocket? Like that's why people like the older Bruce. Younger Bruce, I should say, right? Okay, but back to 1993. Bruce, I know, put out the two albums, much like Guns N' Roses. He put out two separate new studio albums around that time. And while he was still on tour and promoting it and stuff like that, he was supposed to stop by the MTV studios and do an unplugged show. Because they were like, oh, that's a layup. We'll have him come out there and do his Bob Dylan thing, and that'll be it. I don't know the real story on this, not being a Bruce authority, and I should have done my homework on this, but... This was kind of a last-minute addition to the show, but he comes out there and he does one song unplugged, and then apparently he flips the format and says, no, this is going to be an electric show. So it went from being Bruce unplugged to Bruce plugged. And I remember the hype for this on MTV at the time because MTV was pretty much always on for me at this time. So it's like unplugged, and they put a big X through un, and it's Bruce Springsteen plugged, and it's a big special And they aired it a shit ton of times. Probably much to my chagrin. But, real highlight of the show, besides, honestly, the opener, Redheaded Woman, which is a nice, cool, sexy song, by the way. You should definitely check it out. Relatable. But, and hey, write what you know. But, (laughs) so, thankfully, towards the end of the show, he pulls out a song that he wrote, but he did not record the original recorded version. Joan Jett did, which I talked about Joan on the previous episode. Joan Jett recorded this song, and then I found out a little later that it was a Springsteen song. I'm like, well, that's cool. But it was just neat that even though Bruce was really so far from the rock and hard rock thing at the time, but he still threw this one down, and I'm glad he did. And you get to hear, he really registers, even though you're not watching him, 
when you hear this version, you can really tell just how much he's going for it. And obviously, judging by the crowd reaction, you could tell how much they're into it. So here's a really fun gem right here from a 1993 odd and end from Bruce Springsteen Plugged. This is Light of Day.
So definitely the order of the day, if you do MTV Unplugged, by law and nature, it's going to be a more laid back thing. And Bruce Springsteen definitely bringing the opposite of that with that fun version of Light of Day. You got to love that, man. I don't know how you not get a kick out of that version. But just because of the energy that Bruce has, that really does make the follow-up track I did there on the double shot seem really laid back, like overtly laid back, even though it's an up-tempo number. But I was like, yeah, I've got two unplugged performances in a row right here. I'll put them back to back. But hopefully that second one didn't suffer from Bruce's energy because I love me some hot legs. And that was Rod Stewart having a little mini reunion with Ron Wood right there, which is the draw of that unplugged show doing hot legs. That was the kickoff track from that particular unplugged performance. But yeah, I just figured I'd throw that one in there. It's a lot of fun. I'm not really into like some of those ballads on there, like that Van Morrison cover that became a hit off of that Rod Stewart unplugged. Don't really have a lot of time for that, especially since he's doing a Tom Waits song on there as well. And no one gave a shit about that, but there you have it. Bruce Springsteen with light of day, followed by Rod Stewart and Ron Wood doing hot legs. Now this next song right here comes from a really interesting release and i say that because i was reviewing the album for possible inclusion on the album's countdown coming up and then the album turned into something else and i didn't realize that up front because i have never really known a lot about this artist really not until i started doing these countdowns over the years and i've become to be a decent admirer of her also via her videos that she puts out online with her husband not those kind of videos get your mind out of the gutter guys but and not that she's not showing stuff but yes toya toya wilcox she put out this record in 1993 called take the leap and the first half of the album is all new material and then the second half of the album the b-side if you will is re-recorded songs from throughout her career so i was like what do i do with this so i'm gonna go ahead and make it an odd and end and put it on here just because when I don't know what to do with an album I'm just like okay it's an odd and in and I feel like if at least half or the majority of the album is re-recordings then it's an odd and in so that means you have an EP's worth of new material so that once again those two things qualify so I'm going with that I am going to play you one of the songs that's a re-recording of one of her older songs because for someone who's coming into this with a clean slate and, and I hadn't even heard some of these original songs I was like, I really like this performance, so I'm going to play it here on my show. And the original version of this comes from her album in 1980 called The Blue Meaning. And it's a really cool, inspired performance of it here later on, 13 years later in 1993. So here is Toya with Aya. Thank you. 
kind of a Susie Sue gone metal kind of vibe right there, which is really what I dig a lot about that. But that was Aia by Toya from Take the Leap. And I was referencing Toya's internet fame right now that she has currently, along with her husband, Robert Fripp of King Crimson, most famously. Robert actually does have a credit on this album, but it's a credit for, quote, sound advice. So, yeah, I, I like that. That's pretty cute. But there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that. Go check out some Toya stuff. She's a talent, for sure. And speaking of talent, this next band right here, led by a mega talent, one of my favorite rock people ever, led by Bob Mould, this band Sugar right here, who did really well on the 1992 album's countdown, followed that one up with an EP release in 1993 called Beaster. Apparently all this stuff was written and recorded around the time of Copper Blue, the first album. So, same kind of energy, maybe even a little bit heavier than some of that material. But, man, I really dug this EP. I've listened to it multiple times now since I put it on the playlist for Odds and Ends inclusion. So, it's just killer stuff. Not much else needs to be said. So, check out Sugar with this amazing track right here called Tilted. Enjoy.
Ah, uh, yes. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a second to recover from that. That was pretty fucking great, if you ask me. That was Sugar with Tilted from their EP Beaster from 1993. Obviously, you need to go listen to that and anything that Sugar has ever done. Anything that Bob Mould has pretty much ever done, for that matter. Including Husker Du, including most of his solo work right there and his other band. Sugar, of course. All right, let's move over to something so different but from the same alternative music family here, because we're all a family, aren't we? And another weird-ass random soundtrack from 1993 in the form of the Wayne's World 2 soundtrack. Of course, the first Wayne's World came out in 92, and they rushed out a second movie. I gotta say, for a rushed-out sequel, I like Wayne's World 2 quite a bit. In some instances, it may be a little better and tighter than the first one, but... I guess obviously some nostalgia for me being a kid. And I actually saw two in a theater. I don't know a whole lot of people that did, but I did. And I enjoyed it. One of my favorite theater moments of all time actually occurred watching Wayne's World 2. So if you missed this in the theater, let me paint you a quick picture here. So we're talking like the first year or two of the THX and surround sound in the theaters. So they knowingly took full advantage of that for the opening to really get people ready for this film. So the credits are coming up, you know, whatever Paramount Pictures presents. I remember the little, the mountain thing going up. And they start playing the post-solo section of the song of Edgar Winter's Frankenstein, where that do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And the sound is just bouncing off the walls, and it's turned up really loud. And it was just an aural explosion of sound. And it was, it was so fucking cool. I, I haven't had a lot of great theater sound experiences that have even come close to matching that. And I always point that one out. So there you go. The opening of Wayne's World 2. You, know, you watch it at home. You can hear the same thing, the same open. If you got surround speakers, turn it the hell up. And maybe you can get close to replicating what happened to me there. But yeah, there you have it. Soundtrack. It's got some cool stuff on it. It's it's a weird one. It's not one of those things where these songs aren't in the film. Most of these songs, if not all of them, are definitely in the film. And with Aerosmith being a key plot point in the movie, at least since they used older songs in there and they didn't put any new songs in, <laughs> Aerosmith had given all their songs away at this point for soundtracks and whatever. But they're in this movie, and there's live versions of Do Looks Like a Lady and Shut Up and Dance, and those are fun enough. There's classic rock songs that are sprinkled throughout this more so than even the first one and a handful of up-and-comers seemed like four non-blondes was on every fucking movie soundtrack didn't it seem that way every soundtrack and every tribute album and they're not that good are they i like the gem blossoms enough but the song is just eh it's 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 okay and I, I don't remember this song being in the film, and I'm sure it has a good slot in the movie. I just have no memory of this. But I'm playing it because it's just a fun, weird, random moment that happened in 1993. So I love some fun, bizarre covers. So here's yet another one. This is a band called Superfan doing a cover of a song that was popularized by the Carpenters called Superstar. So Superfan doing Superstar. And Superfan is basically Chrissy Hind with Urge Overkill backing her up. So there you have it. Check it out.
Ah, yes. Oh, you can't front on that. That was Van Hagar, a.k.a. Van Halen, with their live-only cover version of Won't Get Fooled Again from the live Right Here, Right Now double album release. I, I like live Right Here, Right Now. I think it's great. And it's really cool to have like kind of an exclusive song for a live album and I think that was the idea, and I remember it being on the radio a good amount of times. I remember some of the radio stations attempting to play some of the other ones, like Panama, and then Hagar starts cursing up a storm, and I'm sure they lost their minds over that one. But, that all being said, what's not to love about that Who cover of Won't Get Fooled Again by Van Halen, with Eddie replicating Pete Townsend's keyboard parts with his guitar because he was the fucking man, and he could do that in his sleep, I'm sure, and most of us couldn't even approach that. By the way, I was doing a little bit of extra research for these episodes, and there's actually a really weird promotional, like, mini-documentary vignette thing for the live Right Here, Right Now release where you actually see the band playing inside 5150 Studios. They play a handful of songs. They take some phone calls from, like, a radio satellite event, which is weird. And, yeah, they go play those songs, and it's a fun thing. If you've never seen it, go look that up. And I could justify double-shotting those last two songs, because not only are they cover songs, but they're songs that were made famous in and around about the same time period, 71, 72. Both of those songs were hits at that time, and they're covered by two completely different kinds of artists, Superstar by Chrissy Hind and Urge Overkill, known as Superfan right there from the Wayne's World 2 soundtrack, and Van Halen doing Won't Get Fooled Again from live right here, right now. We've only got a couple more songs to go before the end of this odds and ends list and before we get to the big albums countdown of 1993. Let's do one more song from the Beavis and Butthead Experience soundtrack. I kind of put this one here on principle. It's not one of the best songs by this band. It's fine. I'm totally cool with it. And I pretty much like everything on the Beavis and Butthead Experience soundtrack. I played the Anthrax cover of the Beastie Boys looking down the barrel of a gun on part one. So for part four here, we come to White Zombie. And obviously, White Zombie was going to be on the Beavis and Butthead Experience. If you would have asked me at the time that they were going to put a soundtrack out, not knowing any bands that had committed to being on this thing, I would say, well, you got to have White Zombie on there. Not just because uh, they share a similar fan base but because it's an absolute stone-cold fact that White Zombie slash Rob Zombie owes a lot to Mike Judge and Beavis and Butthead because I remember when La Exorcisto Devil's Music Volume 1 came out and it was probably selling okay. I remember specifically watching a Headbangers Ball one night and they did like, what is it, the Crank It or Yank It segment for Thunder Kiss and it lost. It lost the fan vote and so... That really hurt the band. The video did not go into regular rotation on the ball or any other hour for that matter. And it seemed like the jig was up for White Zombie. They had struggled for so long and now they weren't going to ascend to that next level. And then just out of nowhere, Beavis and Butthead watched the Thunder Kiss video. And then all of a sudden, heavy rotation. Huge. This album was basically almost two years old at this point, and then freaking Beavis and Butthead save this album and launch the career, in a sense, of White Zombie. It's wild to think that. And of course, the other side of the coin is the winger story, but we won't get into that. Uh, But yes, 
I mean, Rob Zombie's like, okay, what can I do to pay you guys back? Here's a new song for your soundtrack to, to have out for Christmas time. So I think this was the kickoff track to the flip side of the cassette because I was very much a cassette kid at this time. I believe that's the case. So here is White Zombie's contribution to the Beavis and Butthead Experience television soundtrack right here. This is I Am Hell.
Okay, yes, I Am Hell, right there, by White Zombie from the Beers and Butted Experience. By the way, at the beginning of that track, is he not sampling the beginning of Eat the Rich by Aerosmith, that little bird noise that Steven makes there? I'm pretty sure that's what that is, just sped up a little bit, because Rob has always said, I remember him saying this on Howard Stern years ago, that he's never cleared any of his samples ever. And he just picks from like the most obscure things. And then if someone asks him where it's from, he's like, he never says, he never tells anybody where it's from because he doesn't want to get in trouble. Some people have figured out over the years where some of these samples are from. But I am positive that is from Aerosmith's Eat the Rich right there. Which ties in also to the Bees and Butthead soundtrack because Aerosmith is also on there doing Deuces Are Wild, which is the weirdest entry on there, honestly, because why would you put a mid-tempo ballad-type song on a Beavis and Butthead soundtrack? It's like you had other rockin' songs still as outtakes from Get a Grip. But anyway, I digress. Aerosmith, by the way, did a massive reference to this artist that I'm going to play, the very last song here on the Odds and Ends, which is fitting because ending on a bit of a bummer right here, but this release right here was the last ever release in this artist's lifetime. So it came out, and then a month later, he unfortunately passed away. It was the greatest composer of my lifetime. Frank Zappa put out his last release called The Yellow Shark in November of 93. And this is like a super over-the-top, overly musical, artsy, even for Frank, this release. So I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to play this on the show. Not, Not that I have a format, but I do try to stay in the lane a little bit here and there. And... I'm always wanting to play more Zappa than I even do on the show. So if you think I play too much, just know that I hold back for most of you. But I can't not represent him in 1993 in the last year of his life. So bear with me, goddammit. So this release right here called The Yellow Shark, it's a highly conceptual, basically, art piece that he wrote. It is considered a classical music album. Now... Frank, of course, wrote all the music, and it was to be performed not even by Frank. He was going to half-conduct this collective right here, which the collective here is called the Ensemble Modern, and they operate mostly out of Germany, I believe Frankfurt, Germany. And the idea of this collective is they only perform music from modern composers. It's like every orchestra in the world plays the old stuff, but they specialize in newer and sometimes even a live artist. So there you have it. He picked this act to conduct the last piece that would ever come out in his lifetime. It's got a couple of songs that actually he had put on other things before, but he has them in there because it seems to fit the vibe. Even something that he originally composed on a Sinclair keyboard called G-Spot Tornado is on here. So it's really neat to hear it being played by a symphony orchestra. I can't imagine that when he was sitting in his house with his little Sinclair when it first came out, writing a song that he would ultimately call G-Spot Tornado, that he would think that a symphony orchestra would wind up performing it later on in his life. Not going to play G-Spot Tornado, actually. I know that's a crowd pleaser, but going with this one right here because it seemed to me, I kind of read the room. I listened to the audience's reaction. I was like, you know what, that's the one I'm going to play on the show because it's definitely a highlighted showpiece It's actually got dialogue in it spoken by people in the ensemble, so it's a bit of a story song. And, of course, very on-the-nose and political for its time, and even probably now. And this song is probably not the best closer I could think to do because it's actually a welcome in a way. 
So here's Frank Zappa with Ensemble Modern doing Welcome to the United States. or mental disorder <laughs> or are you a drug abuser or addict? Tiny Bill Yes or no? Related 
to a controlled substance? Or ever been arrested or convicted for two or more offenses for which the aggregate sentence to confinement was five years or more? Answer yes or no? being a controlled substance trafficker. Oh, I'm seeking entry to engage in criminal or immoral activity. Answer yes or no. Yes or no. Thank you. See. Have you ever been, or are you now, involved in espionage? Or sabotage? Or terrorist activities? Genocide. Or between 1933 and 1945, were you involved in any way in persecutions associated with Nazi Germany? Answer yes or no. Yes. Thank you very much. And welcome to the United States! Thank you very much. Here they go. Brent Tucker and Herman Krishma. Back on stage, Peter Rundle. Always leave him wanting more, yes. That was Frank Zappa with the Ensemble Modern doing Welcome to the United States from the Yellow Shark. I hope you enjoyed that enough, and I hope you've enjoyed all four parts of the odds and ends of 1993 right here. Of course, we'll be back on the next episode with the top albums of 1993. Even as of this recording, I have no idea how many parts it's going to be, So we will both be surprised together. But until then, stay tuned for my better half Nola with the plugs and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt. 
and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.